Hey guys, and thanks for checking out this episode of the John Campia Show podcast, the audio-only version of the John Campia Show on YouTube. This episode was recorded on Monday, September the 7th, 2020, titled, Tenet Starts Slow Process to Revive Box Office with $150 million. We're glad that you're joining us, guys. Remember, you can also get a commoner question in the live questions part of the show by going anytime to the tip link that's in the description of this video. That's streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your commoner question on the show and you'll be supporting the show at the same time. And for now, let's get to the episode. And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Jonathan Lund. And Jonathan Lund writes... Hey, John and Rob, the filming for Mission Impossible 7 is back underway and director, it is in Norway right now, and director Christopher McQuarrie shared a breathtaking set photo with the caption, action, MI7 day one. I can only guess that Tom Cruise will be up to his usual tricks, doing his own death-defying stunts again. What do you guys think of the set photo and the news that filming is back underway and they are still planning on filming Mission Impossible, and are they still planning on shooting Mission Impossible 7 and 8 back to back. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And uh, yeah, they are back underway. I mean, we, we've talked a lot the last couple of weeks about how a number of high profile projects have been going back into production, whether it was Avatar in New Zealand, it was Jurassic World uh, Dominion was going back into production. We, of course, had the Batman go back into production. But Robert Pattinson got COVID, and so they've held to that. But they'll be back up and running soon. A lot of TV shows have been back up and running. Mission Impossible is the latest of that line to go back up, and they are get back in business again. And yes, the shot that Christopher McQuarrie shared was nothing short of awe-inspiring. This is the picture he took. Look at how beautiful that is with this clearly constructed, scaffolded ramp of some sorts. That just looks absolutely nutty. And if you want to get a real sense for how nutty it is, the Daily Mail uh, was actually able to get their hands on some more photos of Tom Cruise in harness, like up on this scaffolding, going through and rehearsing like some kind of combat scenes with a stuntman. Uh, we see Tom there. How does he look so much better in his 50s than I do in my 40s? I'm not sure. Uh, but anyway, up there, uh, again, more pictures. But here's the crazy thing I wanted to show you guys. Again, do it prepping for a lot of stunt work. Now, apparently, according to some people, this is Tom Cruise, what we're about to look at. Apparently, this is Tom Cruise uh, using that that scaffolding. That Apparently, that's him on the bike. And take a look at this. I mean, come on. So, I mean, look, that could be a stunt man, but according to this report, and they had some closer up shots, and I got to say, it it did kind of look like Tom Cruise himself doing it. Uh, Tom Cruise is back to being Tom Cruise, doing his own death-defying crazy stuff. Anyway, Rob, you had a chance to take a look at uh, at the, these pictures and stuff like that. What are your thoughts and reaction to this going back into production? Dude, that is some evil Knievel jumping the Snake River Canyon in his rocket cycle stuff. I mean, first of all, that scaffolding is huge. That is a monstrously large scaffolding. Um, look, I, I just appreciate, you know me, John, I'm the Viceroy of Verisimilitude, and I just appreciate when someone is looking to create an experience, a movie-going experience, uh, that relies heavily on, sure, there's going to be CG assist, but relies heavily on 
the actual physics of real life. When you're going to jump a motorcycle into the air and you're actually jumping a motorcycle into the air. And not only that, but he's, he's on a harness and that harness is flying him, you know, far away as well. So, yeah, they'll probably have to use digital technology to to scrub that harness away. But he's still flying in the air for real. You know, it's amazing. It's just I look at that stuff. Who who doesn't who who doesn't smile? You know, when all the craziness is happening in the world around us, it's nice to know that people that are bringing us entertainment, which God knows the world needs now, are going all out to bring us quality A-list Tiffany level entertainment. So I'm in. You know, Cruz had developed a few years ago this this belief that look, yes, we can do a lot with technology. But there's something you can feel in yeah. the realism when it's actually when you do it as practical as possible. There's something you as an audience member, he believes that you can feel the the authenticity of it and it brings you in more. And I don't think that's ever been demonstrated to be true as much as when he did that halo jump, you know, in the last Mission Impossible oh, thing, you know, like when when it's actually him, when the camera, when another camera can actually get into the face of Tom Cruise and they're actually doing that. It There's something about that. When it's actually him hanging onto the side of that building or into the side of that plane taking off into the air or whatever, or even in something like The Mummy, where they took the plane up to the edge of the atmosphere and they could do the zero gravity kind yeah, of the thing. Parabola is they, the, yeah. yeah, there's something about that that makes you feel even more immersed into it. And the fact that you got a guy like Tom Cruise, who is closer to 60, uh, now then, you know, it, and the fact that he's doing that, I think it's a testimony to number one, how much he believes in, in this art and how much he, and number two, how much he values the experience that he gives his audience as they're doing it. And seeing him do stuff like this is just a lot of fun. It's just a lot I mean, of fun. You know, it is. And, and uh, there's a lot of people that always say to me, oh, you know, Rob, how, how important is Hollywood really? And Hollywood, like many other businesses, has been decimated just like so many other people. There's thousands of people out of work. Uh, there's productions that have been shutting down. And I think in a way, like Hollywood, people look to Hollywood for inspiration via the entertainment, the movies and the television Hollywood makes. It's also nice to see uh, this, this stunt work represents the work of a great many people, not just the the fight coordinators and the, yes. the the stunt guys, but the people, the workers that had to build that that structure, and all of the people that are wrangling. It, it means that a lot of people from a lot of different disciplines are back to work, you know. And it seems like they're being safe. And so, in addition to being inspirational uh, from a movie going perspective, I think it's also inspirational to see something like this open up and and end mass that people are working and. Um, we're going to, we're going to end up getting something pretty spectacular at the end of it. So I find it inspirational on a number of levels. Right. Now, as far as the question about, are they still going to shoot seven and eight back to back? Cause remember there was some talk or like a long time ago of them shooting seven, and eight, but I, I can't see that happening. I, I can't see them in the midst of the current situation going on. I can't, they probably need They're going to have to regroup probably after seven, but I haven't heard anything on that officially. Have no. you Rob? No, but you know, if they've got certain locations that are going to be the same in both movies, it would behoove them from a budgetary standpoint to, to shoot. But again, haven't heard. I mean, maybe they they've certainly had time to rejigger those plans. So 
Uh, who knows? I mean, I but I wouldn't I wouldn't put it past them because it is Tom Cruise. It is Mission Impossible and they don't do anything half assed. So, by the way, I don't know if you heard this, but apparently so they're shooting in Norway right now. Apparently, Tom Cruise paid some unbelievable amount of money to rent this giant ship, a cruise ship, a cruise ship where they are keeping all of their cast and crew so they're not even putting them in the town. They are they are so isolating their cast and crew to protect them from the virus. They got a ship to keep them offshore, and then they get in their boats and come into shore, shoot, and go back out and isolate on the boat, which, again, taking extreme measures. Guys, question is, what do you think about these images and these shots and Mission Impossible 7 back at it again? What do you think about it? Are you excited about the film? Are you not? Jump down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move into main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Omar94. And Omar94 writes the following. Hi, John. Huge fan since AMC. Thank you so much, Omar. Uh, the Hollywood Reporter says that Tenet debuted at $20 million at the U.S. box office this weekend, nearing $150 million worldwide. With that, do you think Tenet will save the theaters? I saw it, and while I didn't like it due to not quite knowing what it was even about, as I found it very confusing and hard to follow, others will still see it. As $20 million is pretty good with COVID-19 continuing and theaters having limited capacity, thanks, and bring on the filthy. All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yes, Tenet is now in certain places at any rate in theaters at limited capacity nonetheless but it is out in theaters i have not seen it i was supposed to see it on saturday i had my tickets i had my seats reserved uh but something came up and i couldn't leave in time to get down to san diego to go watch it so i still have not seen tenant full disclosure i still haven't seen tenant oh. yeah yeah i wanted to see it though man i wanted to see it uh i'll figure something out i will figure something out but it is now debuted in a lot of countries and in limited capacity in the United States. And it has, as of today, as of today, it has passed 150 million worldwide, including uh, 30 million from its bow in China, which is fine. The, these are numbers. The question becomes, are those good numbers? Let's get the obvious thing out of the way first. For a pre-COVID pandemic era, oh, hell no, these are not good numbers. These are, these are what went wrong numbers. These are numbers that would spark headlines. Christopher Nolan, no longer a favorite of fans and blah, blah, blah. Obviously, compared to pre-pandemic numbers, a 20 million domestic, 150 million worldwide would be looked at as a catastrophe. There's no way around that. Of course it would. But six plus months into a pandemic, when the theaters have been closed and we haven't had a major feature film other than New Mutants, which is not on this level, opening, and we haven't had in most places theaters even open at all, how this becomes it this becomes einstein's theory of relativity was this a good result i'm going to go out on a limb and say this i believe it's a decent result i do i i, I think this is a decent result 
for what they got. Now, this comes to us from the folks over at Deadline. Christopher Nolan's tenant added a further estimated $58.1 million at the international box office this weekend, taking the overseas cum on the Warner Brothers title to $126 million after two sessions. With the time-bending uh, film debuting in the U.S. this frame, the estimated worldwide total is 146.2. That has, of course, gone up in the last 24 hours. The global weekend figure of $78.3 million includes previews and covers 46 markets on 52,913 screens. The offshore holdovers drop only 36%, which is interesting because normally, Rob, for a big film under normal circumstances, we expect to see 50, 55% drop. This took a 36% drop, which means it, it tells me something and we'll get to that in just a second. Here's why I look at this as not bad. We have said, Rob, on this show for months that when the movie theaters start to open back up, it's going to take a while to ramp up. Mm. People are going to want to go. And Rob, like for instance, in my screening that I didn't get to, but when I bought tickets, I I got I got like the last two out of the last five tickets that were available in the thing. Like when I went to go see New Mutants, I got like the last two seats that I would have personally chosen. I mean, the, the people are going to the theaters where it's available for the most part. But we all knew that it was going to take a while to ramp up, to let the message go out that movies have returned and we've got a new movie, a big new movie in theaters and all that kind of stuff. And we knew it was going to take time. Some places it has 10% theater capacity, some place 25, some place up to 50. And like, for instance, it's not even theaters in California, New York, not open other than San Diego. So we knew it was going to take time and it would be a slow rollout. All those things considered, I actually look at this opening and I think not bad, not bad considering. Now, the big question to me, Rob, where this is going to get interesting for me is what happens in the next two to three weeks? Do we see momentum do we see oh okay yes they just got this thing started people are starting to realize it's back blah blah do we see that grow now obviously i'm not expecting it to be a bigger weekend next weekend than this weekend because it's in its second week people have seen but do we see momentum start to build do we see a curve going up of you know people going to the theaters and all that kind of stuff i think this is a half decent start all things considered but a half decent start won't mean anything if it doesn't start to build some of that momentum, because if it doesn't, then we could be in a worse place than we were before. If it does, I think it'd be pretty good. All things considered, I think this is a not bad start. Rob, you look at this. What's your you know, evaluation of the whole situation right now? Well, I think like you said, it's as we've talked about, it's this is it's we're rolling it out. You know, it, we're reopening. It's not like people are clamoring at the gates where you're getting Day of the Locust style, massive crowd diving into movie theaters. But I think it's it's somewhat I see it as somewhat reassuring that people want to get back to normal. Another thing to consider is, well, we'll see in two or three weeks. How has this pandemic been managed within movie theaters? Are people going to come down with COVID or not? And I think that it'll be it'll definitely be interesting to see where we're at in two or three more weeks if it remains safe. You know, I take what you were telling me about the theater you saw New Mutants in. That made me feel pretty good about it. That was an AMC theater. You talked about the uh, in extreme precautions that they were taking. I'm like, okay. And you seem pretty uh, – Pretty, you felt safe 
going to see New Mutants. And I think that's something that's really important. And we'll see how these other theaters have managed this. But I see this as a positive. I mean, obviously, eventually we have to get back to where we need to be for people to get back to work and our economy to be fully open and movies to come back. And it had to start somewhere. And Christopher Nolan wanted Tenet to be the the movie that brings movie going back. Well, maybe he's doing exactly that. He might have wanted to make a billion dollars right off the bat, but maybe this is perhaps not as financially. I mean, let's face it, John, nothing was going to make pre-COVID money at the box office for a long time. But if this has people coming back to the theater, perhaps it's a good thing. This is exactly what was needed. Yeah, and, and the hope, of course, is, and we don't know if this is going to happen or not, the hope is, is that people, like even just reports of the box office. I Look, I, I still talk to somebody who didn't even know Tenet was still coming out in theaters. It's like, wait a minute, it's Tenet's in movie theaters? Like, there's so people outside of our sphere, the question becomes, can the word get out there? Can they build this momentum? It's going to be interesting to see. But again, overall, I think this wasn't a bad start. So no. question is for you guys. What do you think? Do you look at these numbers and think, oh, this is a disaster? Do you look at the numbers and say, wow, that's amazing. I never thought I'd get near that good. Or are you like me? It's kind of, you know what? It's not bad. It's not a bad opening. How do you feel about it? And how do you think it's going to reflect in weeks two, three, four as we move on? Can this start to build momentum or not? That's what we're going to find out. Jump down into the comments section below and let me know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on now into main topic number three. And our third main topic today gets submitted to us by Sammy Wise Gamgee. I see what you did there. And Sammy Wise Gamgee writes, Hey, John, wondering if you had a chance to see Mulan yet and what your thoughts were. I personally thought it was okay. It's not an easy story to translate into film, but after watching Aladdin, which I loved, I also thought it could have been better. What did you think? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yes, as a matter of fact, I did watch Mulan. Now, on yesterday's open mic, people were asking me if I see Mulan, and I said, you know what? I'm not even 100% sure I'm going to watch Mulan. Like, I'm going to watch Mulan at some point, but I don't know that I'm going to drop 30 bucks to watch it on Disney+. Plus Because I, I have this thing against dropping $30 for a movie I'm not getting the actual theatrical experience for. That's what I'm paying for, the theatrical experience. Not to sit at home, I can put anything on my TV that I want experience like any other day of the week. I want the theatrical experience. And I said, I'll, if I don't get it in the next 72 hours, I probably won't. But last night, what happened was my buddy Ryan was over. So me Anne, and Ryan were sitting around. I was like, what do you want to do? And we had eaten. And we we're like, all right, let's watch Mulan. So whatever, we put on Mulan. What did I think of Mulan? Well, I, I, I thought a couple of things Mulan. First of all, let me say this. I think Mulan is a pretty nicely done film. I do. I, I, I think it is a pretty nicely done film. There was almost, almost every aspect of it that I watched that I felt, yeah, they did, a, they did a nice job with that. And they did a nice job with that element. And they did a nice job with that element. And, and overall, at the end of the day, if I have to get on Rotten Tomatoes and submit my review and do I say it's a yeah or no, I'm probably going, yeah, it's a nicely made little film. It is. 
uh, I thought the performance of the all the ca- I thought all the performances were really quite good. Felt all very fairy tale like. It's great seeing Donnie Yen and Jet Li. I didn't even recognize Jet Li at first. It wasn't until the Emperor's second scene that I went, "Wait a minute, that's Jet Li!" And like Anne and Ryan were like, "Yeah, you didn't realize that? I didn't even realize that." But I thought the performances of everybody, including the leads and all, like I thought it was quite nice. I like the camaraderie of the little band of soldiers that Mulan was a part of. I thought that came across nicely. Uh, I thought the villain was nice. Uh, yeah, it was nice. It did a nice job. Two big caveats I want to give here, though. One is this. This is a movie. As I'm watching it and I'm seeing these gorgeous like Chinese landscapes and everything. I'm watching this movie and it only took me about five minutes to go. This movie had should have been on the big screen. I mean, I get it. There, there. I mean, pandemic, all the. I get it. I do, but I could not escape watching it, even just for five minutes. Before I was going, this would have been a better experience on a big screen, especially with the cinematography and the color and all that kind of stuff. It just would have been a better experience. That being said, while I felt everything was pretty nice, and I don't want to give away any spoilers per se. There also was hardly any element of this film that I didn't also watch and go, it's nice, but I feel like it's a missed opportunity. You know, the 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 village that she lives in is nice, but I also felt like it was a missed opportunity. I felt like they could have breathed a lot more life into that thing. Uh, when, when the soldiers are on the battlefield, it's nice, but I also felt like it could have been like three times more. Um, you know, the, the the interpersonal relationships, they're nice. Although I will say this, one really exceptional thing about this movie was the relationship to me between Mulan and her father. Got me every time. It, it, uh, that I will give all the check marks to. That, that part of the film crushed it. And I really felt it. And it was, that part was done excellently. But other than that, all the other interpersonal relationships and things going on, I felt like, yeah, you're doing what you need to do. But you could have elevated it a lot more. And i that's my overall feeling. A nice little film could have been elevated a lot more. Did not come anywhere close to my expectations. I, I'll just say that. Mulan as a movie doesn't come anywhere close to my expectations. Now, I'm about to give a minor spoiler away. Okay? I'm about to give a minor spoiler away. If you don't want to know anything about this Mulan film, mute right now and i'll i'll give you the big wave like this to let you know it's good to unmute it okay so i'm about to give you a minor spoiler all right giving you the warning here we go this character the witch she's not on screen for more than 30 seconds before you know exactly where her story arc was going and and like it took what could have been a great turning point character moment for this character later in the film and they just gave it all away with the first two sentences out of her mouth in the movie like the moment she speaks and in her first conversation she has in this movie you're like oh well we obviously know what's going to happen to this character and and so it kind of neutered the character and any effectiveness this character was going to have throughout the rest of the movie there was no effect because now i already knew exactly what was going to happen I knew exactly what was going to happen. And that was unfortunate. Uh, I'll, I'll comment on this too. 
a lot of people talking about the music. I didn't miss the music in this at all. I, I didn't because I think it is a, a heresy of film watching to just go into a film and not judge it on its own merits. I don't give a shit about the original animated film. Okay. I don't give a crap about it when I'm watching a different interpretation of it. When I'm watching a new interpretation, I don't give a crap about what the old one is. I'm judging this on its own merits. And I didn't feel the missing of the music at all. This was a different kind of film. I didn't miss the music. Perfectly fine. That was great. Uh, so that, that's one aspect of it. So again, overall, nice little film. Would I spend 30 bucks on it again? No, no. Would I recommend people not wait till December if they're Disney Plus subscribers when they can just watch it for free and go out and shell out the money to watch it right now for 30 bucks without even getting a theatrical experience? Mm, even though I think it's a nice film and, and I liked it overall, I wouldn't recommend dropping 30 bucks just for a home viewing experience. I, I, I just can't do it. Anyway, Rob, that's my kind of take on uh, on Mulan. Uh, is there anything? Where were you? Because I know you haven't had a chance to watch it yet. Does, is what I'm saying lining up with your expectations? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, pretty much. You know, I wonder, like, I wonder that their approach that they took, again, going for that realism, I kind of wonder... What if they had brought in the more fantastical elements of the animated, like the dragon and the what the grasshopper, and or and added those Jungle Book style? <laughs> you know, I mean, could they have gotten away with adding the more fantastical elements from the animated film back into this story, or not? I mean, it's uh, interesting. It's interesting to question. me. Yeah, I mean. They've gone for this realism, and and I was I, as I said to you, I was watching Chris Stuckman's review, and he was pointing out like I'm a huge fan of movies like Shadow and and Hero and the, the Chinese oh, made Hero. movies that deal with the same period, and they've done such a great job. I mean, the battle sequences and the fighting and all that in those movies is spectacular. Even Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, that was a huge hit here domestically, did a great a great Got job. Got nominated with that. for Best Picture at the Academy Awards, by the way. Yeah, fantastic films. And I wonder that if the one thing that Mulan had going for it that was different could have been those extra additional fantasy elements, how that would have worked, I don't know. Well, but I'll maybe say this. I'll say this though. There are some fantastical elements in the film. For instance, that character I just had on screen, she's a witch. Right. Um, and we see and there are other I don't want to give too much away. There are other fantastical elements that come into play. As far as things that like they did in the animated film, do we need a, a slick, talking, sarcastic animated dragon tech? No, I, I, I honestly, I hear some people saying they should have had Moshu. And I'm like, no, you're just yearning for what the movie you saw as a kid. This, this, I, I personally, I think that would have completely destroyed the atmosphere they were going for in the film. And one of the things that works in the film to me is the atmospheres of, of the film. The atmosphere sure. of the movie kind of worked for me. And I felt if you had a sarcastic, funny, quick quipped drag little dragon in there with voiced by Eddie Murphy, I think it would have completely annihilated what they were going for. But there right. are some fantastical elements. Could they have done more? You know what? Yes. I think there was room for more because the moment they start talking about Chi and Chi becomes kind of a key 
thing in the movie. As soon as they start talking about Chi, it that opens the door where you could. And it that becomes, Rob, I would suggest one of those elements I was talking about where it's like, oh, yeah, they did this nicely. But you could have done a lot more with it. You know what I mean? And I think for exactly what you're saying is there was not the way they did it in the animated film, but I think there was a lot of opportunity to explore since you cracked the door open to it anyway, already. Right. There was a lot of, there was opportunity to do even more and that, that would have been interesting. It would have been interesting. Anyway, question is guys, have any of you had a chance to watch Mulan? Would you recommend other people rush out and pay 30 bucks to watch it at home? I don't think I can, but I, I still liked it. I did, but Missed opportunity. I feel like it's a missed opportunity. Did not live up to the promise of what I, I felt the trailers gave me. Um, anyway, but still not bad. Still not bad. Anyway, what did you guys think? Jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With all that down and out of the way, let's now move on to the live questions part of the show. You guys have been firing them in. Once again, just use the tip link that's in the top of the description of this video or enter it manually, streamlines.com slash movieblogtv slash tip, getting your question on the show and supporting the show at the same time. So it's a double win. All right. With that said, let's get into it here. And the first live question we're going to comes to us from Hector Jeter, who writes, Hi, John. It was awesome to finally meet you in Vegas. Uh, I was that fanboy with the large bucket. I remember this. I was the fan with the large bucket of popcorn that stopped you to say hello. Glad you were pleased on how that AMC was keeping things clean so far. I've gone there four times since it opened. Yeah, and I had a chance, by the way, thank you to everybody. I had a chance to meet four or five uh, different people came up and said hello. So thank you too much. But I remember, Hector, we were actually in the theater and we had just gotten our our uh, concessions and you came up and said hello. So thank you for that. Um, listen, honestly, I could not, I couldn't have been happier with the way that particular AMC in Las Vegas conducted itself. It felt, like I said, three times safer than even my very safe feeling grocery store that I went to. And this felt like they went way more above and beyond. I felt so good and very comfortable. I've heard not all movie theaters are doing that though. So you got to be very careful about where you choose to go see your movies. Make sure they're taking it seriously and they're doing the things that they need to do to keep it safe and comfortable and, and all that kind of stuff. But I got to say, man, that theater in Vegas was great. I wish it was about two hours closer because I would have gone there four times too, man. I'm glad you're enjoying yourself there, Hector. Thanks for saying hi. All right, Rodrigo writes. And Rodrigo sends in $20 to support the channel. Thank you, Rodrigo. Rodrigo writes, hello, John. Been watching your show since the passing of the great John Schnepp. Just wanted to say thanks for the countless hours of entertainment you've provided. Love your show and look forward to every episode. Stay safe. Oh, thanks so much, man. It's always great when somebody wants to write in just to say something nice. Um, and uh, and thank you for watching for so long and being a part of it. And it is awesome for us to be a part of the movie fan community on a daily basis to talk about all the things that we love as well. So thank you, Rodrigo, for being a part of that community, man. We appreciate that. And thank you again for the kind words. All right. Jason Espinosa writes, not only has Chris Evans played characters in comic book movies, Fantastic Four, Captain America, and The Losers, he was also in... That, that's true. We, we were talking on the open mic yesterday, Rob, about... And you and I talked last week, too, about different actors being in two different comic book kind of worlds, maybe three. A few people have mentioned the ones that have been in three, but you're right. Uh, Chris Evans also was in Scott Pilgrim versus the world, which is a graphic novel um, and the voice of Casey Jones and TMNT. Yeah, I don't, I don't count animated stuff. I, I don't count stuff that you just have to show up for a day and what I don't count that stuff, but you're right. Scott Pilgrim versus the world is another one that he was in. Good call on that one, Jason. Well done. All right. Jason also writes, Jaimon Hansu. 
has also played characters in multiple comic book movies. He was Korath the Pursuer in Guardians of the Galaxy and Captain Marvel, uh, the wizard Shazam in Shazam, and Papa Midnight in Constantine. And don't forget, he was also the king of that one underwater kingdom, the Fisher, the Fisher, uh, what the kingdom in Aquaman. Of course, he was all CGI'd over and everything, but he was that character as well. So Jaimon Hansu has been in Aquaman, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, Captain America, but has the same character, and as the Wizard Shazam. So Jaimon Hansu is another one. Dude, I still will never forget seeing Jaimon Hansu for the first time in Amistad by uh, Steven Spielberg. Still to this day, my favorite Spielberg film, by the way. All right, B. Wayne, New York writes, John, so my girlfriend is a huge Disney fan, so I got Mulan. I thought it was okay. She didn't like it. Disney took some big creative liberties with the story, which made it a lot less entertaining. It needed all those great songs. Save the $30 and wait till December. I disagree about the song stuff. Like, I I didn't need them to just take the animated version and redo the... I wanted... When it came to Mulan, one of the things I loved about the trailers was the promise of a different kind of Mulan that was more like this sweeping epic kind of movie. And while I feel much like you do that, I thought it was okay. I liked it, but it could have been so much more. I, I don't, I think the song, honestly, I'll be frank with you. Unlike in Aladdin where they went for something different and they used the songs and it worked great. I feel like bringing the songs from the Mulan animated movie into this movie would have destroyed this movie. I, I really do. I think it would have taken a movie that I at least liked and made it cheap and silly feeling, or they would have had to reconstruct the entire movie. I preferred the direction they were going in, which is sweeping epic. And it worked to a degree, just not wonderfully, but I think personally, and this is just my opinion, personally, I feel like the songs would have just undermined all of that and just kind of wrecked it. But it was also kind of cool hearing the music to a lot of those iconic songs being used in the background of a lot of the scenes of this movie. So that one was pretty cool. Anyway, glad you at least semi enjoyed it like me, B Wayne. All right, Captain Blue Pants writes, I love space travel movies, not referring to films like Star Wars, more like NASA history or astronaut stories. My favorites are Apollo 13, First Man, and The Martian. Are there any you're particularly fond of? Rob, I know this this is a question that's basically tailor-made for you. You got any like space travel movies that are like really ones that you're really fond of that stand right out there? Because you just recently, there was a documentary was it Apollo 11? Was that the documentary that was just out yeah, that, that you came really out liked? last year? A beautiful documentary where they actually had 70 millimeter footage that had been uncovered that was shot during the Apollo moon landing or the moon mission. Stunning. I mean, I, you know, obviously I'm a huge real space fan. One of my favorite movies of all time is The Right Stuff. Obviously that the, the new miniseries is coming out based on the same Tom Wolfe novel. But in terms of, you know, I grew up watching good spaceship movies and bad spaceship movies. But in terms of real documentaries, there's things like For All Mankind, which is a great documentary on the on the NASA program. And then there's movies like 2001, you know, that that depict space travel and, and was at the time a very accurate, accurate way. But yeah, I mean, I, I love any movie that shows me space travel in some way, shape or form. But what was really nice about Apollo 11 is it celebrated our real technology and how difficult it really was to go to the moon back in 1969. And, you know, for those people that continually deny it even now, you can see the landing sites 
with the right equipment. So they're there. And uh, it was pretty astonishing what we what we were able to do. But Apollo 11 is definitely worth seeing. And apparently it came out on Blu-ray, but I think it came out on 4K disc as well. But I don't have the 4K. I should get it. All right, let's move on here. Next one up is Trond M who writes, hey, John. I don't know why it took me so long, but now that Cobra Kai is on Netflix, I gave it a shot. I always thought the trailers were interesting, but I did not expect to love the show as much as I did. It's now one of my favorite series of the 2010s. And listen, you are not alone, Trondem. You are not alone. A lot of people really like that show. I am really not one of them, uh, which is too bad because I was amongst Rob. I remember when they were when they were promoting the show, I was amongst the most excited people for this show. I was really psyched for it, <laughs> and I just didn't like it. It just did not work for me. Now, my wife really liked it, um, and like I said, I am in the minority on Cobra Kai. I think I think a lot of people are really, really enjoying that show, uh, but uh, just for whatever reason, it just didn't work for me. Did you ever have a chance to watch Cobra Kai? I can't remember if you yeah, ever had a chance to see it. But I have a question for you. Yes. How attached to you are, are you to the original Karate Kid? Not, not very. Yes, yeah, I think I think it really has to do with uh, cuz obviously I do think that Cobra Kai is a pretty miraculous extension of the original film, the original characters. I mean this this trend in pop culture to meet characters decades after you first met them in the same fictional universe. One of the reasons I liked Creed so much, new characters, but then you also have Sylvester Stallone coming back and it's sort of great world building in that universe. I think Cobra Kai does the same thing. And and again, I was not like you connected necessarily to the Karate, karate Kid. I mean, I liked it. But I was very surprised at just how well, if they were going to make a sequel to the Karate Kid, like almost 40 years later, 35 years later, it's pretty good. Like, I have to say, they've done a really good job about dealing with people and where they are in their lives. And I I, I, I have to say, I like it. Now, I haven't seen anything, any of the, the new season, like the third season dropped on Netflix. I haven't seen any of that. Right. All right. Next up. Thanks for sending that in, Tron. All right. Next up, Willow writes. So I guess Amazon has shifted from dropping an entire season at once to a weekly release basis. I get the advantages, but after seeing the first three episodes of The Boys Season 2, it's agonizing to wait for the rest of the season come out. Oh, my God. Let's talk for a second about The Boys Season 2, shall we? Oh, yes, we shall. Let's talk a little bit about the boys season two. So the first three episodes, and we'll get we'll get to your question specifically here in a second, Willow, because I think it's an important one. Uh, fantastic. And and listen, you guys know I love the first season. So I was very set up to be disappointed. But I loved it. Everything they have done in season two seems to me to be a very logical extension about the events that after the events of what happened in season one. It's like, yep, that's that's the, that's what would have happened. And yep, that's where they would have been. I I don't know if there was a single thing about what I've seen in the first three episodes of season two that didn't make any sense to me. I had these big questions. I was like, well, Butcher is dead at at the end of season one. You're like, okay, he's he's dead. He's there with Homelander at the end of season one. Uh, How the hell does he get away? But they explain that. I'm not going to give one. But perfectly logically explain it. Um, I love what they are doing with the deep. And and the deep was one of the more questionable characters. Me last season so far, I have loved it. Um, 
All I'm going to say is, you are so beautiful to me. <laughs> what the fuck was that? I mean, that is one of the most bonkers things. That scene with you are so beautiful to me is like one of the most bonkers things. And by the way, that that was uh, Patton Oswald, was it not? I thought, I'm pretty positive that was Patton Oswald. Anyway, that was one of the most bonkers things I've ever seen on TV. I knew from the, from the teasers that I think I'm going to like this Stormfront character. And oh my God, I I I'm I really like the addition of this Stormfront character. It 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 does something to the dynamic of the show that I didn't think they could do. And it, it, Rob, we'll talk about the the the, the, the implications of the, uh, now going on a week to week basis. But just just quickly, uh, I know you saw the first three episodes because you liked the season one as almost as much as I did, if not more. Yes, I did. What, what did what did you think about the first three episodes? I, I mean, I loved it. I they, They've set up what I love about this show is they've set up so many different and interesting storylines. You know, the deep being obviously that's a great one. I didn't see that coming. The Stormfront. I mean, the Homelander storyline with multiple. I don't want to get into it, but multiple people. And and the one thing every time he's on screen his performance is so electrifying, it just it terrifies me where he's going to wind up at the end of this season. I'm also scared for everybody on the planet Earth because this <laughs> show, the, the, the level of extreme violence that can happen at the drop of a hat, that's always been a part of this. But there's, a, there's an undercurrent of, of real terror in Homelander and when he's on the screen. You never know which direction it's going to go in. And what's happening with Vaught and Giancarlo Esposito is really fascinating. The, the storyline with Maeve, all of the different – there's so much happening in this show. It's so dense. But at the same time, it's still satiristic. It skewers modern cancel culture. It's There are no sacred cows in this show. Everybody is fair game. I mean, my God, this might be the most subversive show on television. And I love every minute of it. Now, they did, Amazon did a fundamental shift. They dropped the first three episodes, and now they're going to go week to week. Rob, I have been saying on this show for almost two years now that you are going to see networks like Netflix, net, networks like Amazon, you are going to start to see a very slow and gradual transition to a week-by-week week release. And the main reason I've always said that that, that that will happen is because as a network, you are going to get far more benefit from releasing week-to-week week than dropping it all at once. Because, Rob, of course, the argument has always been they dropped Stranger Things Season 3. We all watched it. We all talked about it. And four days later, nobody was talking about it anymore. It was done. It was gone. We all talked about it. It happened below. But with Mandalorian, where Disney Plus released it week to week, for months, that's all we were talking about was Mandalorian. Because we saw the new episode. We all talked about the new episode. We talked about what's going to come up on the next episode. Other people who hadn't watched it yet start hearing all this buzz in this chat going on week after week after week. And they go, oh, I guess I'll go and check this out. So they can start from episode one and get caught up by episode six or whatever. And it builds this momentum. And we were talking nonstop about Mandalorian for months. And I've said for a while, you're going to start seeing, by the way, Netflix 
has already just started to dabble in that in this little way with what they did with Lucifer. Instead of dropping the entire season at once, what did they do? They dropped the first half of the season. And then they'll drop the next half of the season later. And I'm telling you, within the next couple of years, they are going to start to transition to now we're going to drop three episodes at a time. And then you're going to start to see week to week. I get it. I'm a binger too. I, I prefer whole season drops. I can sit down and rip through the whole thing really quick. I love that. But there is no denying there is far more benefit to the network and some benefit to the fan community when you get to drop it one at a time and we can just talk about it over the weeks and look forward to the next episode. But I, I, Rob, I think this is a sign of things to come, not just for Amazon, but for Netflix. And again, you, I, I know a lot of people right now are screaming at the computer monitors going, but I like to binge. I get it. But you can't deny the benefits for the, the creators and the producers and those who are putting in the networks that are showing it to the week-by-week model. Uh, Rob, do you think it's going that way, and, and do you think there are benefits to it? Dude, I think what they're doing is great. I, I mean, look, would I have liked to have... I would have binged the whole season in, in a day. But showing three episodes, and the three episodes have within them, it leaves you... There's a, definitely a storyline that comes in that they play out throughout those three episodes. So at the end, it's both satisfying and you can't wait to see the next episode. So I think it was, if you hadn't watched The Boys or you were waiting for the new season, man, talk about reeling me in hook, line, and sinker. I took the bait. I can't wait till Friday. I can't wait to see this next episode. And I'm going to be, I think you're right. We've talked about that, like you said on the show. I think a weekly a weekly rollout of these shows is the way to go. It keeps that momentum going. And certainly for a show like this, I'm sure they might not have something maybe that's as memorable as the airplane episode from last season. But the fact that you have episodes like, did you see the airplane episode of the boys? Oh my God. You yeah. know, and then it gets people to come back. I think you're absolutely right. I, and I have to tell you personally for me, look, I'll binge everything that's put in front of me just to do it. If I like something, but I also like having something to wait for. You know, there's something to look forward to, you know, something to see. And I like that. I do, too. All right. Listen, I could I could talk about the boys uh, here all day, but we need to move on here. So let's get on to the next question. So the next one comes to us from Stewie Griffin, who writes, I've noticed over the last year or so that it's become increasingly popular in fan circles uh, to shit on Nolan uh, in an it's popular so we have to be contrarian kind of way. I noticed it again when the Batman trailer came and people were were dogging his Batman films. I know I it, it it's actually it, it's one of the things that I find infuriating about fan community. And one of the reasons that it's infuriating is because you realize you do it yourself sometimes, right? And that's what really bothers you when you realize that you've you've probably caught yourself doing it as well. But it is one of the things about fan community that's insane. It's all about what's happening right now. And Rob, it often feels like in fan circles, we need to discredit something else to feel good about the thing that's in front of us right now. It's right. like the new Batman trailer comes, great. Well, we can't say that it's great unless we shit on everything else that was Batman before. Like, that's it's such an idiotic thing that we as fans do. And I, and I think we're all guilty of it from time to time. I do. But it is stupid of us to do it. It's absolutely stupid. You're allowed to love the new Batman trailer without disingenuously trying to create a false narrative that somehow the Christopher Nolan Batman films weren't fantastic. 
but it's what we do. And, you know, we've seen that play out before. Like, every time there was a new, like, how many times, I've lost count of how many times a DC trailer drops and all of a sudden I see the hashtag everywhere, R.I.P. Marvel, R.I.P. Marvel, <laughs> like the Man of Steel trailer comes out. You know how much I love Man of Steel. Man of Steel trailer comes out. Trailers are amazing. Oh, R.I.P. Marvel. The, the, the Wonder Woman trailer comes out. Oh, R.I.P. Marvel. The Batman versus Superman trailer comes out. R.I.P. Marvel. The new Batman trailer that just dropped. dropped. And again, I saw all these people writing. Oh, R.I.P. Marvel. Yeah, like how has that worked out so far? Like I, I, it, there's this insufferable thing we as fans. And again, I think we've all been guilty of it. This guy included. There's this insufferable uh, tendency that a lot of fandom has that's like in order to celebrate one thing, we have to falsely try to crap on something else. It's like that's what six-year-olds do, and we catch ourselves as a fandom doing it all the time. But yes, Rob, have you noticed that, that all of a sudden people like pretending to sour on the, the Christopher Nolan Batman films, or have you not seen that? Oh, no, no. I Absolutely. I've seen it. And I, I really – I've never really understood that um, psychology because to me it's like – you know, if something comes out and it's been cemented into the world and history has proven that something is actually good, you know, it, it, we're 35 years away from Back to the Future, but nobody ever sits there and goes, well, some people might, but not really. You don't go back and go, you know, Back to the Future really wasn't that good. No, it, it is good. <laughs> and, it, and it's been proven generation after generation that it's good. It has something of value to offer to all of us. And I've never I've never really got that mentality. I mean, I've always thought that when we get something new, it and it turns out to be classic or awesome or great or whatever, the fact that that this incarnation of the Batman looks really good and knowing that they've only shot 25% of the movie, that they've come up with something like this that's that intriguing, I look at it as something that's going to add yet another patch of the quilt of awesome that is the Batman franchise over the last hundred years. You know, there's been bad stuff, but for the most part, we've got a really interesting tapestry of Batman on film, all the way back to the black and white serials, to the 60s television show, to the animated series, to Tim Burton's Batman, to Nolan's Batman, to Ben Affleck's Batman. I mean, we've got this really interesting look at this character over almost a hundred years of cinema, and some of it's great, some of it isn't as good, Batman and Robin, obviously, but I think it, it's all exciting that this character continues to inspire filmmakers and actors, and we're getting something that we can look at and go, wow, it's really great to see, once again, this character is being reinterpreted for a new generation at a new time. I, I just don't understand why that means you should look at something else and say, well, that sucked. Yeah. You know, what is what is just because whatever movie's coming out, what does that movie have to do with anything that's come before or what what does that movie have to do with what does a new Batman movie have to do with Marvel? Like nothing because they're superheroes, so why why compare and contrast? Yeah. Uh, it's just weird to me. I've never really understood that. 
All right, let's move on here. Uh, Anonymous viewer writes in, Hey, John, it's been reported Sony is developing a Silk TV series, of course, the Korean-American uh, Spider-Man universe character, uh, with Amazon. Do you think it would affect the Sony-Disney relationship in terms of Tom Holland and the MCU, or is it a tactic for Sony to get more leverage from Disney? Uh, what is the spump, <laughs> spump and MCU dynamic? Okay, so there are reports going around that Sony is trying to develop a Silk animated show. And they're trying to work out a streaming deal with Amazon. It's got to be made very clear, though, that those reports are also stressing that this is far from a done deal and that there are a lot of what they what the reports I read say are significant hurdles in the way. One of the things that I've got to imagine is the hurdles is who's got the rights to do what? Because under the old Disney Sony deal, Sony couldn't do television stuff with those characters. But when they revamped their deal that in, that allowed, you know, Spider-Man to appear in the MCU and all that kind of stuff, I've got to assume some of those details changed and Sony got a little bit more leverage out of that. So I, I don't know what the particulars of that details are. I do know this, though, that whatever Sony does, it's going to be permitted vis-a-vis -vis the terms of the contract they have with Marvel. So anything Sony does will not be a surprise to Marvel. This isn't going to be something they're trying to pull on Marvel. Whatever they're going to do will be specifically provided for in the language of the agreement they have. So whatever they do here, I don't think it's going to affect one way or another the relationship that, that the MCU and the Sony universe currently have. Because it'll all be already written out in the language. And anything that's in that language is something that Disney would have been prepared for. So we'll have to see. But again, keep in mind, Anonymous, that they did make it very, very clear in those reports that these, these are still significant things and we shouldn't count on a Silk TV series just yet. We'll see how that develops, though. All right. Calix Magister writes, Sherlock superhero combos. Iron Man, Robert Downey Jr. played Sherlock Holmes. Yes, he did. Doctor Strange, Benedict Cumberbatch played Sherlock Holmes. Magneto, Ian McKellen did play Sherlock. I'd never even thought about this. Um, and soon Superman, Henry Cavill, is playing Sherlock Holmes in Enola Holmes. Your favorite combo. Uh, by the way, two Alfreds is Holmes as well, Michael Caine and Jeremy Irons, and at least in a Saturday Night Live skit in 1991. I loved Michael. By the way, Michael Caine was also Sherlock Holmes. Michael Caine, Rob, I don't know if you remember it. He was, and I'm trying to remember the name of it, but he was in this brilliant Sherlock Holmes comedy with him and Sir Ben Kingsley, where Michael Caine played Sherlock Holmes and Ben Kingsley played Watson, but it was the first time a movie had made a comedy out of it and they suggested that Sherlock Holmes was actually kind of an idiot. In the movie, Sherlock Holmes is just an actor hired by Dr. Watson, who's actually the brains of the operation. I know, I can't remember the name of it, but I don't know if you've ever seen that one. Uh, I'd say out of these ones, my favorite combo is probably Robert Downey Jr. Uh, because I thought I really like Guy Ritchie's Sherlock Holmes movies. I like the first one more than the second one. Uh, and obviously, I love him as Iron Man, too. I like all the other combos as well, but I really did like Robert Downey Jr. I haven't seen Henry Cavill's Sherlock Holmes and Enola Holmes. I don't even know if I plan on watching that, but uh, but that's my Rob. Which of those are your favorite combo? Well, you know, I remember growing up. I watched Basil Rathbone play Sherlock Holmes, like in The Hound of the Baskervilles, you know, and that was one of the that was one of the first times I I saw Sherlock Holmes. But I have to say, there's a Sherlock Holmes movie that does not get enough love, and that is Young Sherlock Holmes. Do you ever see that? 
I never was, did, but I know the one you're talking about. It's an Amblin production, and I it came out in 85, and Barry Levinson directed it, and I forget who played Sherlock Holmes in it, but I love young Sherlock Holmes, which I recently re-watched. Um, and it, it's good. I mean, yes, it bears a little bit of resemblance to Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom in certain ways, but really like that movie. But I, as you were asking, I really did like Guy Ritchie's Sherlock Holmes movies because they surprised me and they weren't. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock Holmes was not Basil Rathbone that I grew up. At. <laughs> My dad and I watched those movies. They were different. Um, but I, I liked I liked that. And I also really liked Ian McKellen playing an old Sherlock Holmes yeah. in uh, the movie Mr. Holmes, which I thought was pretty good. That came out in, uh, I think, 2015. Oh, is that when it came out? Yeah, I think so. Um, okay. Bill Condon directed that. I like oh, that movie. Oh, that that movie that movie is is all types of great. Okay, yeah. Uh, let's move on here. Next up, we've got Ryan Loner who writes. Uh, writes. I just watched Noises Off, my second all time favorite comedy <laughs> ever. Noises Off, and holy crap! I actually thought I was going to crack a couple of ribs from laughing so long and so hard. I'm definitely checking out more Michael uh, Fran's work after this. Noises Off is iconic. For so many reasons, Hold on, I'm going to see if um, see if I can find a an image here. Oh my God! Okay, here's here's a great one. Here's a great one. Let me see if I can get this on screen here. Noises off is I I could I can talk noises off all day. First of all, let's talk about the cast: John Ritter, Christopher Reeve, Michael Caine, Carol Burnett. Um, on and on and on this cast is insane the premise of the movie is this stage company trying to prepare their play called noises off and 98 percent of the movie happens just in the theater <laughs> as they're rehearsing this performance it is absolutely magic it is absolutely magic and, and not enough of you guys have watched this movie. It's an older film, but yeah, if you want to see, you know, Jack Tripper from Three's Company, and if you want to see Superman, and you want to see, you know, Alfred all in a movie together, uh, and the great, one of the most iconic names in comedy ever, Carol Burnett, you've got to watch Noises Off. Rob, I don't even know if you and I have ever talked about Noises Off. Have you watched the movie version of this? I have not, but you talk about it a lot. And, you know, Frank Marshall produced it. Dude, it is totally your kind of movie. I, I you, know. You, I cannot believe you haven't seen Noises Off. It is, my again, my second, all, my favorite comedy of all time is still 40-Year-Old Virgin. But Noises Off is very firmly planted as my second all-time favorite comedy. I need, to buy, comedy. I need Dude, to buy it. You know, I would I would love to watch it with you. Some, I would love it. Is it on Blu-ray? Let's see. Let's, yeah, check it out. It's got to be. Mm. I guess nothing uh, has to be. off Blu-ray. No, it is not. Oh, but you got to watch it, man. Got to watch it. Anyway, Ryan, I'm glad you had a chance to watch it, my friend. All right, next up, David Crabtree writes, I've been catching up with a lot of shows lately, and it got me thinking about just what are my favorite shows right now and in the last few years. So here are my favorite shows of the past five years. Number 10, Jack Ryan. I like Jack Ryan quite a bit. I preferred season one over season two, but I still like season two. Uh, Glow was great. Uh, Amazon's a tick. God, I still am not over the fact that they canceled that show. I loved Amazon's a tick. Anyway, uh, number seven, 
The Boys. Uh, number six, Last Man Standing. Number five, Stranger Things. Number four, Daredevil. Number three, Cobra Kai. See, I told you you're not alone. There's a lot of people who love Cobra Kai. Number two, Lucifer, which of course I love. And number one, The Orville. Realistically, West Wing would be my number one by a mile since I didn't watch it until 2015. And it's new to me, but I kept the list of shows that newly aired. I, I just can't have The Orville very high. Like, because while for me, The Orville is a show that has some of their episodes are, I don't like to use the word very often, but epic. Some of the episodes of The Orville are absolutely epic. Unfortunately, to me, it's a very hit and miss show because I'll watch one show one week and go, oh my God, that was awesome. And then I'll watch the next episode next week and go, oh, that's one they could have left behind. But uh, whatever, it's... It is what it is. Rob, I don't know if I've ever asked you your your thoughts on Orville. What are you thinking of Orville? Ooh, that's a long conversation. You know, I really <laughs> appreciate the spirit of the Orville. And like you, I think that they've done some great episodes. I really like the cast. I think sometimes they do a lot of what are called bottle shows. They, they focus on bottle, meaning they don't go anywhere. They stay on the standing sets. And the episodes become really personal about the characters. I like when they delve more into larger science fiction concepts. But um, I think it's a, it's a good show that's made with a lot of heart. And I, I quite enjoy it. I don't think it's a replacement for Star Trek. I think it's kind of its own thing. I like that obviously it takes so much of its inspiration from Next Generation. But I do think it's its own thing. And I, I think it's going to increasingly have more of its own identity as we move forward but i like it i like it a lot all right let's move on here nocturnal disney podcast right so clearly i had to buy mulan on friday very simple answer save your money it was boring the character development was almost non-existent and mulan as a character was incredibly dull i don't agree with that i, I don't think the character herself was dull uh, i say go watch aladdin again and wait till december see that's the thing i was really hoping to have in a different way, but that same kind of Aladdin experience. Now, I went into Aladdin, even though I love Guy Ritchie, I didn't think Guy Ritchie was the right pick to direct Aladdin. But but I liked the trailers for the most part, and I went in and I was shocked how entertained I was by Aladdin. Like, absolutely shocked how entertained I was by Aladdin. And I was hoping for a different kind of yet similar experience to that with Mulan. I wanted to be shocked by how good it was as a sweeping epic. You know, as I wanted to see grander battle scenes and I wanted to see more development of the characters. And I want so overall, again, for me, a nice film, nicely done, um, worth watching. But the two words that keep kept coming to mind, missed opportunity, missed opportunity, missed opportunity to really take it to the next level that I feel like Guy Ritchie did with with Aladdin. Every opportunity Guy Ritchie had to bump it up a few notches they did it and i feel like with mulan i almost feel like they went like let's do what we need to do to make the, this work and then let's move on to the next thing and again if it was just a movie that dropped on disney plus for free if it was just dropped on disney plus and i put it on and watched it i would have said yeah this is something i think is worth watching worth dropping 30 bucks for a non-theatrical experience 
no, I, I, I can't do that. Anyway, thanks for sending in that th- those thoughts, Nocturnal. Gabriel writes, hey, John, big fan from Puerto Rico since before the Man of Steel review. Uh, it's, it's rare in people writing that they've been around since before the Man of Steel review. Over or under 10%, the chance that Ben Affleck and Michael Keaton share screen time together in the Flashpoint movie, maybe something like the two professors in Days of Future Past. I would say this. Do not underestimate, Rob, how small the number 10% is. That's small. So... <laughs> While I wouldn't say it's likely, I got to take the over on 10%. I definitely think it's over 10% that we get something like that happen. I might not say 60%, but I would definitely take the over on 10. What about you? Over under 10%, we see both of these former Batmen together on screen. I think over 10. Okay. Okay. Where would you set the line? I'm just curious. I would probably set the line somewhere at like... 25 25 is around where i would set the yeah, line where would sounds, you that sounds pretty good only because if you're doing it you, you know if you're if you're if you're if you're moving forward with a film like that i think everybody involved in the making of that film has to say at one point you know shouldn't we get both of these guys together in the same scene even if it's only like in some kind of a reality warping scene like traversing the the multiverse or something. Can't we see them together in the same frame? I mean, wouldn't we want, I mean, that's part of it. Like you, wouldn't you have to do it? Right. I don't think you have to, but, but But the audience, like everybody's going to be like, come on, you have to have them interact. Even if it's only a scene, like with the two flashes interacting in the, in, uh, in, uh, the crisis on the CW. I mean, even if it's something brief, that's only happening when time is being bent or something, I, the still alone of, of of them facing off against each other, uh, that would get me to the theater. You know? All right. Uh, next up, we've got Ashley M. who writes, John, I wish I could have seen Mulan in theaters because it looked gorgeous. I, I, yeah, that's one of the things I got to give Mulan. It looked beautiful. The, the, the landscapes, the color, it, it, it looked absolutely beautiful. Uh, but it didn't have the charm and the fun of the animated movie. I do love the new Christina Aguilera song, Loyal, Brave, and True. Shame it won't be eligible for the Oscars. Yeah, it's fine. I love more the theme of Loyal, Brave, and True that runs through it. Uh, I thought was really good. Uh, Donnie Yen elevated that part a lot. But yeah, I got to say, you know, I'm just talking about how it's, yeah, it's all right. It does the job, blah, blah. But I thought the things I thought were exceptional about it were the relationship between Mulan and her father. I felt it. Like, I, I really did feel it made me feel something. So that's exceptional. And it does look beautiful. I, I cannot, I won't, I, there's, there's no, nothing I can say against the look of the film. It was beautifully shot. Uh, but again, that just kind of that left me lamenting like you, Ashley, that uh, I really wish I could have watched this properly, like on a big screen that which would have been the proper environment for something like that. And that is too bad. But you're right. They looked absolutely beautiful. All right. An anonymous viewer writes zoinks, jank, janky, jinkies, whatever it is, she says, Rutro, son of a bitch. All right. So I can only assume that you're talking about the scuba natural episode of supernatural where the supernatural guys get taken into the animated world of scooby-doo which is one of the greatest things i've ever seen on television by the way like one of the greatest episodes of television in television history which is great so i can only assume i don't know what the reference other reference it could have been but that sounds like something it would have been that roro son of a bitch all right gabriel writes 
Idris Elba was in Ghost Rider 2. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Uh, the MCU is Heimdall. And now we'll be in Suicide Squad, all in live action roles. Yep. So there's another one, Rob, that we can add to the people who've been in three. Yeah. Somebody pointed out the other day, Jim Carrey. Uh, Jim Carrey, who was in Batman. He was in The Mask. And, oh, now I'm forgetting. the th Oh, and he was in Kick-Ass. He was in Kick-Ass 2. So that was another one that was three. Somebody else. So Chris Evans was in three. Mm. Uh, now we got Idris Elba. Good one. That's another one we can add to the third. Well, will be. Hasn't yet. Hasn't yet. But will be joining that uh, three club there. Uh, Chance Sneaker Bros writes, hey, John, love the show. Thank you so much, Chance. Or, or Chase. Chase, not Chance. Chase. Uh, quality is excellent. Oh, thank you so much. How do you keep the show going so smoothly with all of the tech you have going on? I'm only starting my podcast and already overwhelmed. P.S. Uh, I've been watching since I was in high school. I'm now 27 and married. Well, thank you so much for watching. Obviously, you go back to like to the early AMC days, maybe even the uh, my movie blog days. Um, yeah, listen, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm not going to be false, falsely modest here or anything like this. I, I'm going to tell you what. I'm I am constantly impressed how well I'm able to pull off this show considering like I am while this show is going on, I don't have my webcam connected right now, so I can't show you everything here, but I've shown you before. So I have four main monitors in front of me, a keyboard, a main switchboard, a audio control panel, um, a laptop on the side. I'm constantly moving. I'm constantly moving, bringing up new images in the web browser that I can then, you know, bring up uh, over here to be on screen and things like that. I'm constantly switching back and forth, controlling audio, bringing up the next questions, being being ready to bring up the uh, the images as they need to be brought up and changing things and moving around. It, it's practice. It's practice. I've had friends of mine that, you know, try to do the same thing and we're just like, we can't, we can't do it and they have to get help or they have to just sim more simplify what it is they do. It's just a lot of practice uh, in doing this. And the reason I do it, I, do I think a show like mine needs to have all this production value? No, it doesn't have to have it. But I, my audience, Rob, I've talked about this before. My audience has so consistently, you know, you're here, you watch the show, you support the show. So one of the things that I'm constantly focused on is not what does not what exactly does my show need, but what can I do with my show that makes it an even better experience for the audience? And so I'm constantly trying my best, uh, sometimes do pretty well, sometimes not so well. Uh, I'm constantly trying to do my best to add to the experience somebody would have just watching the show. Do, do, does the higher quality stuff, does that make it a better experience? So. I'm not going to lie to you and tell you it's easy. It's not. It's taken me years to figure out how to do it smoothly and all that kind of stuff. But it, it's something I enjoy doing. And best of luck, luck, Chase. I hope you have good luck getting your stuff going too. And believe me, it comes with practice. You get good at it and then you can add one more thing to your workflow. And then you get used to that. And then you can add one more thing to your workflow. And it's just be patient though. Just be patient while you're doing it. All right. Thank you for that, Chase. Next up, uh, we've got The Sock writes. 
I just saw Tenet. I wish I had seen Tenet. And wow, y'all weren't kidding when you said, I think I need a second viewing. Holy shit, that was hard to follow. Uh, though it didn't help that I hadn't that I had hardly slept and had to keep myself awake. Also, the mixing was way bigger problem than I thought it would be. I legitimately had trouble hearing every other sentence in just about every scene. This will be one of those movies I wait uh, for, to VOD so I can watch the subtitles for sure. Rob, you and I, neither you or I have had the chance to see this movie in person. I was supposed to see it on Saturday. Two of the big criticisms we're hearing coming out. It's very convoluted and difficult and difficult to follow for, for some people. But the second has been a common complaint we've heard about Christopher Nolan films over the years, which is his audio mix. We have heard several times for several of his movies that like for going back to the Dark Knight Rises, which it's not, it's not just that Bane is talking like this. It's like uh, legitimately other characters too. It is sometimes in many scenes difficult to hear the dialogue because of the way Christopher Nolan likes to level his, the sound effects and everything else going on. It makes it challenging. And I'm hearing that from a lot of people about Tenet as well. Have you been hearing these same criticisms? Oh, Yeah. No, uh, absolutely. I've read a lot about it. I mean, I'm fascinated by this as somebody works in post as, as you know, you're in post on your movie. One of the most important things is, look, I think he has an aesthetic reason for doing it. I think he's trying to create more of a verisimilitude within the the frame of his movies. I think I personally disagree with that philosophy because if you can't hear people's dialogue, the way we watch movies is we are, we are, we're, we're, we're always wanting to hear what people say. We are conditioned by the very medium of film to want to hear what people say. And the idea that if you can't hear dialogue, then there's something wrong. To me, that's a mistake. That's a, that's a sound mix issue because the audience is going to be like, what, huh? And I understand if your idea is, well, if someone's in an airplane, and it's flying, and it's hard to hear. In real life, it'd be hard to hear. But these are movies. And I think the believability and the enjoyment of watching a film is hampered if you cannot hear what is being said. Otherwise, why say anything at all? Why just not make the film or that portion of the film silent? But I haven't seen Tenet, so I don't know what to say. But I've certainly felt that way with other Nolan movies. And I've never quite understood why he chooses to do that, because it's a choice. He is making a specific choice, and I don't understand it. Yeah, and again, you and I haven't seen it yet because it's not playing in Los Angeles. Um, so I, so maybe once I see it, I'll agree with that statement. Maybe I won't, but I wouldn't be surprised because, again, this has, this has been, as great of a filmmaker as he is, this has been a common and easily correctable uh, flaw to a number of his films. Anyway, let's move on here. Matthew Denton writes, do you think it's wise to continue to make giant budget movies right now? It might be a long time before we see pre-COVID box office again, so it just seems like any movie with a big budget is almost doomed to fail for the next year or two. I disagree. Um, I, I think it is questionable to release a big movie right now. Not necessarily a bad idea. It's questionable. To release a big to release a big movie right now, to make a big movie right now, oh yeah, because listen, Mission Impossible Seven is not going to come out in the next three months. It's not going to come out in the next six months. It's not you know. So yes, I think it's fine to be in production of these movies. Yes, because we we often lose sense of time relativity that the movie they're making right now is not coming out in in like twelve weeks. 
the movie they're making right now is to come out like a while from now. Um, so yeah, I don't think there's any problem making those films right now. Whether you they they'll continue releasing those films right now, that's the question mark that we're going to have to answer. Matthew Hitchcock is the goat. Writes. Tenet was good. When it comes out on home video, I can rewatch it with the subtitles and understand the other 50% of dialogue I missed due to the terrible sound mixing. Another quick criticism about the sound mixing. Um, uh, I'll know if Tenet was great. Nolan is my favorite current director, but this needs to be addressed. And, and again, Rob, you were kind of alluding to this. What I don't understand is this is not difficult to fix. Like you, the way you put it is perfect. This is a choice. Like he's choosing yeah to to level these things and i don't know if he thinks that is artistic it's not good if people cannot follow your story and let's face it sometimes christopher's stories are hard enough to follow as it is but if people can't follow your story then they're not going to get the movie experience that you intended them to have and so we're hearing more and more people. Again, I, I like the way you put it. It's a choice. I don't know why he's choosing to do this. I just don't know why he's choosing. This isn't a matter of he just has a bad sound mixer. He's in. Fi he's the final guy in charge. Like you just tell the sound mixer, change that. <laughs> you know. Well, you know, I, I always talk about one of my favorite in terms of sound mixing uh, movies is The Social Network. And there's two scenes in The Social Network. There's the opening, like nine minute long conversation that Jesse Eisenberg and uh, Rooney Mara are having in the in the bar. And then there's the club scene with Justin Timberlake where you've got pounding club music. And there's the the sound design on both scenes is terrific because you hear the pounding club music or the loud cacophony of the bar. Yet the dialogue is crisp and clean and you can really hear it. And it, I can only imagine if Christopher Nolan had done those same scenes it would have been murky. You would have caught every other word, and he would have been like, well, it's, I'm trying to create real life. This is what it's like in a club. I'm like, yeah, but we don't – as moviegoers, when we can't hear dialogue, we're like, wait a minute. That just seems like a mistake. Yeah. And I think Fincher does the same thing but does it expertly and gives us the exact opposite effects that, that Nolan does. All right, let's move on here. Next up is Dayman and Nightman writes – uh, the tenant opening uh, to, at best, modest results in the U.S. Do you see Warner Brothers potentially removing the film from theaters in two weeks and putting the film out on an early PVOD uh, if it uh, if it doesn't have the legs they want? I don't see that happening. And, and the main reason I don't see that happening is there's no reason to do that. I mean, Rob, when you, when you look at this, look, they just made $150 million, all right, on this movie in, in its opening in its opening bow. Why would you pull it out now and put it on VOD? Honestly, what's the reason? Because uh, if your argument is, well, so people can download them right now. Okay, but guess what? They're going to do that two months from now. So what is the reason to not keep it in theaters as long as they can, make whatever money they're going to make in theaters, and then put it out on PVOD later and still make all the money they were going to make on people getting it at that time. It's it's not an either or. Like, you can make all this money in theaters now. It's not going to be pre-pandemic money. Absolutely, it's not going to be. But you're going to get that money now. 
And then whether it's in eight weeks, 12 weeks, 16 weeks, whatever it is they decide to do in this pandemic era, then you put it out on PVOD and people who want to get it then can get it then. So you're making money then and you're making money now. So I I, no, I don't see them pulling it off. I think this was a decent start, all things considered. Uh, with the pandemic, this being the first film out of the gate, like if if some film comes out in, you know, late October and still gets the same kind of result, that's a problem. You're, we want to see some momentum building. We want to see the next round of films that come out to do a little bit better and the next round of films to do a little bit better as people start the process of coming back. But I don't think Warner Brothers is surprised by this result. I think it's a decent result, all things considered. So, no, I, I don't think you're going to see them. I, I don't think you're going to see them pull it in two weeks. I think they're going to continue to make money on it for four, five, six weeks. Um, and then they'll put it on POV, PVOD and then still make that money. But you never know. I mean, you never know. That. What do you think they're going to end up doing here, Rob? I, I Look, I think they're going to play this out. They're going to leave it in theaters for a long time. They're going to milk this as long as they can because it is still an event movie. And people are still talking about it. They're still going to it. A lot of people do think it's mind-blowing and are having a great time at the theater. I think, like, for us, John, it might – I mean, who knows when we'll see it. But if they open theaters in L.A. in a month, I'll go see Tenant. you know? I don't want to see it on PVOD or SVOD, whatever you want to call it. I, I want to see it in the theater. I want to see it in a laser-projected IMAX. Right. All right, next one up. Uh, Bojax writes, John, not sure if you heard the news, but Orange County – is possibly reopening movie theaters this week. So that would be a nice alternative than driving down to San Diego or Vegas to see Tenet. Oh, no, it would be a dream. It would be a dream. If they could if they can get the theaters in Orange County for me, because that's a 45-minute drive. That's a 45-minute drive uh, at, at worst for me to jump into the car and drive into Orange County. Now, again, it would be the same thing that I did going to Vegas. If I get to the theater and everything looks good, they're following strict protocol rules, making everybody behave and all that kind of stuff, and I can feel comfortable, great. If I get there and I see everything is chaos and they're not making anybody wear masks and all, and I get in the theater, I'm just leaving. So it doesn't matter. But um, who knows? Maybe I'll get a chance to see Tenet this week. Maybe I'll be able to jump in a car, run out to Orange County and go see it. Um, fingers crossed, Bojax. Fingers crossed. All right. Garrett Couch writes, Saw Tenet, I was in awe of the visual effects. However, I felt key information was glossed over and the sound made it more stuff mm. about the sound and the sound made it legit nauseous. Um, uh, there were things that luckily Tenet explained videos covered that I completely missed. Is Dolby to blame? No, Dolby's not to blame. This isn't a Dolby issue, unfortunately. And listen, I said this about Matrix stuff. I said this about other things. Whenever a movie says, well, I mean, you have to go and read the book to understand what happened there. Or you have to go and watch this uh, uh, the video they put out for people. So you have to go watch. Whenever you have to, <laughs> have to go and consume supportive material in order to experience the film properly, that's the sign of a bad movie. It, you, you, the movie's got to be able to stand on its own. If you can't understand what's going on, so if people have to go and watch, and again, I haven't seen Tenet yet, but if people have to go and watch Tenet Explano videos in order to be able to watch Tenet and get it, that's a problem with the movie. Because whatever story you have, as a storyteller, one of the key skills you have to have as a director, as a storyteller, 
is telling your story so the audience is able to follow along and have the experience you intended. If the audio, if the audience can't follow, guess what? That's not the audience's fault. That's your fault. Now, again, I haven't seen Tenet, but that, that is, a, is a growing concern I keep hearing from a lot of people. So we'll see. All right. Next up, K Major writes. John, regarding movie remake, I kind of find it similar to how we get a cover of a song. There's times when the cover is immensely superior to the original. There's times when they suck. It 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 doesn't in no way change or diminish my feelings of the original I love. Oh, I completely agree, agree, K Major. That is something that we've talked a lot about on the show is is remakes, Rob. That's always a, a topic of conversation is remakes. My feel my feeling is go ahead, remake anything. It doesn't matter. If the movie's great, we have another good movie. It's if it's bad, then we'll forget it. Like we do all bad movies. The original is still there. And there have been studies that have proved because some people say, well, if, you, if they make a bad new one, it'll soil and, and sour people on the greatness of the original. Actually, studies have proven that when a new version comes out, interest in the original spike. More people saw Infernal Affairs than ever would have seen it if it wasn't for the fact that The Departed came out. You know, uh, more people saw the original Juan than they ever would have seen if it wasn't for the North American remake of The Grudge getting made. I mean, so I so I agree. I just I have yet to hear anybody make an argument to me. What's the downside of making the remake? Seriously, what what harm can happen from making the remake? It'll increase attention to the original. We might get a good new movie. And if we get a bad movie, we get to forget about it. So I forget, Rob, where are you right now on the whole idea of remakes? Well, you know, I look back and I think about some of my favorite genre movies of like the 80s or late 70s. Philip Kaufman's remake of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. John Carpenter's remake of The Thing. David Cronenberg's remake of The Fly. Especially Carpenter and Cronenberg mo Cronenberg's movies are reimaginings of the source material. Very different kinds of movies, very legitimately great movies in their own right. I would I would never want to say that I want to live in a world without Carpenter's The Thing or Cronenberg's The Fly. That would diminish us all. And I think that's what – the only downside I think about remakes is that did that remake supplant, say, an original vision of something that we'd never seen before – did that movie not get made in favor of a remake? That's the only thing that I would say. But like you, the downside, look, remakes, br remakes bring attention to the original movie. And um, hopefully a remake is better than the original movie or at least different enough in the case of Cronenberg's The Fly and Carpenter's The Thing. It's different enough that both can exist. And we get both versions of the movie and they both have something legitimate to say for the times that they were made in. So... I think most of the time it's usually it's an upside rather than a downside. All right. Next up. Well said. Next up. Stubble McShave writes, if Game of Thrones had dropped a whole season at once, then people would have talked about it for a week. Then it would have been forgotten until the next season where the same thing repeats. There would be no fan sites theorizing and there would be no buzz. I agree. Now, th there would have been some, but I agree. Do you know, listen, as you look at Game of Thrones, it was a show that... Every year, yes, the viewership went up, but also during the season, the viewership went up. Why? Because everybody would talk about that episode that happened this week, and they would talk about it. People would hear about it. Then the next episode would happen. Everybody would talk about it again, and for years, it's all people talked about was Game of Thrones. That's a great example, Stubble. 
That is a great Game of Thrones being is a great example of that 100% that Mandalorian, you know, where we talked about it for months on end, whereas, hey, a very great Netflix Punisher series came out. We all talked about, wow, wasn't that great for 72 hours? And then no one talked about it again. <laughs> you know, it, it just brings so much more attention to the show. So, Stumble Shave, I think that is a great example. K Major writes, uh, Zack Snyder to WB, you could not live uh, with your own failure. And where did that bring you back to me? WB, I thought by eliminating half the movie, uh, the other half would be unnecessary. But the DC fans have shown me that's impossible. Yeah, that's, you know, here's here's the thing. Here's the thing. It is amazing how much people are trying to rewrite history and forget what actually happened. <laughs> people are forgetting. Now, listen, I am. You will be hard pressed anywhere unless their last name is Snyder. You will be hard pressed to find anybody on this planet who is a bigger evangelist for Man of Steel than me. You are not going to find anybody who is a bigger supporter of Man of Steel than I am. That said, the reality is it underperformed. Half the people hated it. Half the critics hated it. And it did not do what they wanted it to do. It doesn't matter that I love it. It doesn't matter that idiots like me thought it was one of the greatest comic book films ever made in history to this day, the most underrated comic book film of all time. It don't matter that I think that. The reality is half the people hated it. Half the critics hated it. It didn't do as well as the box office as they nearly thought it could have. And then they moved into Batman versus Superman. Half the people hated it. Half the critics hated it. And it didn't do nearly as well. Any movie called Batman versus Superman should have made in its sleep a billion dollars. In its sleep, it should have made a billion dollars should have potentially, potentially been a $2 billion film. And I like Batman versus Superman. Go watch my review. I really enjoy Batman versus Superman. Ben Affleck turned into my favorite Batman of all time in Batman versus Superman. But it doesn't matter what idiots like me think about it. The reality is, that's reality. And it, it's just, one of the unfortunate things is, too many people, Rob, in fandom feel like in order for me to like it, I have to discredit anybody and anything that doesn't like it. No. Right. Guess what? I can love Man of Steel and be perfectly comfortable that a lot of other people don't. I'm perfectly comfortable with that. That's fine. I, I, in order for me to justify loving Man of Steel, I don't have to try to delegitimize the fact that a lot of other people didn't. I don't need to do that. In or some people feel like my my opinion doesn't work unless I discredit anybody. No, no. I listen. I love Man of Steel, but I acknowledge that a lot of other people didn't. And even within the midst of this whole Zack Snyder thing, I feel like a lot of these people are pretending like what happened in our recent history didn't actually happen. Like, everybody's pretending like everybody loved Man of Steel. That should be the case. That should be what have happened. But it's not what happened. Everybody's pretending, wants to pretend like everybody loved Batman versus Superman. That should have been the case. But the reality is they didn't. And now everybody's pretending like 
I don't know. I don't, how have you looked at this whole situation, Rob? Well, you know, again, like you pointed out, there's people that like things and people that don't like things. And I, like you, really like Man of Steel a lot. And what I find really interesting is people that don't like Man of Steel, they tend to not like it because what they wanted from it wasn't in the movie. The kind, the way they think about Superman wasn't in the film, as opposed to reviewing the movie for what it is. And that's what frustrates me. Which is, is kind of funny because I feel like that's what some people are doing with Mulan right now. I kind of feel like that's how some people are approaching Mulan. But so that's a point well made. Yeah, I mean, and, and I just like, look, you know, I really like Man of Steel as a, a interesting take on the Superman mythos that we hadn't seen before. Much more of a, a, a sci-fi first contact story than the traditional, say, Richard Donner Superman story. And it was uh, there are things in it that I really particularly enjoyed. And I, I, I guess I was looking for something new. I was looking for a new take on the character that was more along the lines of what, what would Superman be like if he really existed in our world today? How would that work? And we've, we've, that, was, that was what the movie was trying to do. So I thought that what they were attempting to do in the movie succeeded, and I enjoyed it for that reason. But everybody who doesn't like it is always telling me, and I'm sure telling you too, well, you know, it wasn't like this Superman. It wasn't like that Superman. I'm like, uh, yep, that's right. It was not. Yeah. Nor was and, it supposed to be. And this whole idea, like, I, I see what you're saying, K Major, and I respect what you're saying, but it's like the, the implication that, oh, DC has just fumbled and stumbled without – Zack Snyder. What has happened without Zack Snyder? It, by the way, I I love most the only film that Zack Snyder's done that I'm not that I'm not particularly keen on is Sucker Punch. That's it. Every other Zack Snyder film I have enjoyed. But but what have they done without Zack Snyder? They made a billion dollar Aquaman movie without Zack Snyder. They made a billion dollar best picture Academy Award winning uh, at least for actors and other categories, in Joker. They made one of their highest critically and fan audience approved movies ever in Shazam. They, it's it's not like, you know, a lot of fans are thinking, are acting like everything was great when Snyder was there. It wasn't. It was for some of us, but it wasn't right. overall. And things have just been terrible since Zack wasn't there. Aquaman, Joker, Shazam, we got new Wonder Woman coming that everybody's excited about. I, it's, it's just the rewriting of history that tr people are seem to be doing. And, and I, I just, I, I just think we gotta be careful with that, but we'll see how it goes. Rob, we've kept you over time. We know th you got things you got to run and do right now. So in the meantime, thanks again for being here today, brother. Always a Where pleasure. can people find you and your adventures online? You can find me on Twitter at BurnettRM. Find me on Instagram, Robert Meyer Burnett, or find me on my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Work, and my show, Rob Observations. All right, dude. Thanks a lot for being here. We'll talk to you again tomorrow, my friend. All right, sir. Take care. All right, ladies and gentlemen, the one and the only Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. But for now, we still got a little bit of time and a couple more questions, so let's go get to those right now. We're going to pick things up here with uh, Anonymous, who writes, HBO Max to Warner Brothers, DC fans, as long as there are those that remember what was, there will always be those that are unable to accept what has been the theatrical version they will resist. Let me try this again. I'm not quite sure what it is you're saying. HBO Max to Warner Brothers, DC fans, HBO Max to Warner Brothers, DC fans, as long as there are those 
that remember what was, there will always be those that are unable to accept uh, what has been the theatrical version. They will resist. I, I'm not really clear on what it is. I'm sure there's something really interesting. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just not really sure what it is you're saying there, Anonymous. Uh, all right. Stubble McShave writes, Tenet, Wonder Woman 84, and Dune are all Warner Brothers movies. Do you think they'll collectively break the $2 billion mark? Ooh. And do you think any one of them will reach $1 billion? I find it interesting that Warner Brothers didn't flinch with their movies in this pandemic chicken race. Um, I, I Honestly, the answer I believe to both of those questions is no. Um, I, I do not believe that collectively those three films will make not in the not in the situation we're in right now, not in the collective situation we're in right now. Um, pre pandemic, no problem. I think those three movies combined, no problem, make two billion dollars. But right now, by the end of this year, I think we're going to see a recovery but I don't think the recovery by the time these three movies come out will be to the point where any of them can actually make a billion dollars, nor that they can collectively make two. I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm dead wrong about that. The question that what they need to do here is just to do the best they can and do their part in helping the recovery of the movie industry that hopefully the next movies that come out will do even better. So they'll make whatever money they can in the theaters, then they'll put it to streaming later on and make more money off it there, and hopefully that'll be enough. But as of right now, um, and you know, I try to be optimistic about this stuff, I really do. But as of right now, no, I, I just can't see either of those situations happening. I hope they do, because I'm looking forward to all three of these movies. All three of them, very, very much. But I, I can't see them collectively. In in the current condition, no. But they'll do as good as they can. Uh, K Major H, HBO Max. I'm thankful uh, because now I know what I must do. I will unite this film. I will unite this film down to its to its new footage and then with Snyder's vision, create a new one teeming with longer epic scenes and scenes that knows not what it has lost, but only what it has, what has been extended. It's going to be interesting to see. I, I think a lot of people got to remember, this is still the same movie. This is still the same movie. You know, the recent uh, Variety article pointed out that about 80% of the theatrical version of Justice League was actually Zack Snyder's stuff. I thought it was closer to... I thought I thought it was closer to 70 or like 65%, but according to Art Variety's uh, latest article, about 80% of Justice League's theatrical version was the stuff that Zack Snyder himself shot. That means 80% of what was in the theatrical version is going to be in this new version of it, but with a lot more stuff. So it's still going to be practically the same story, but just with a lot more stuff built around it. Will that fundamentally change our perception of the movie? That's the hope. That's the hope that they have. And I think it can, because there's a lot of extra stuff. Because you're talking about 80% of it. Okay, so you're talking about what? Like an, an hour and a half? Hour 35 of that movie will be in there? That still leaves like two and a half new hours of footage for to have your completed four hour film, right? That four hour piece, that's going to make it feel fundamentally different. So we'll see how that all pieces together. We'll see how that all pieces together. All right, next up, 
Uh, S. Beam writes, Boys Season 2, first three episodes were awesome. Everything I was expecting. The audition of Esposito, the addition, I should say, of Esposito is huge. But like last season, I pointed out to you, was Butcher even more Jack Sparrow-like in this season? Or is it just me? I love it. I want more of Season 2. Thanks. I didn't really, no, I didn't get the Jack Sparrow. See, the problem with the, the Pirates movies is they progressed. Jack Sparrow became more and more of a joke. Like, Jack Sparrow in the first Pirates movie was this feared pirate that people knew not to mess with. And he was a very capable pirate, right? Uh, who was also very eccentric. By the time you get to like Pirates 3 and 4, they had reduced Jack Sparrow to just basically a bumbling idiot who accidentally falls into success. You, the way I compare the, the later Jack Sparrow iterations was, remember that scene in Star Wars, uh, The Phantom Menace, when Jar Jar Binks is like, they're in battle, and he's like, Oza Noza! And he's running, and he and he trips over a gun, and he's trying to run away, but the gun stuck to him, the gun starts firing off in directions, and he's killing all the battle droids accidentally, but getting success, or he accidentally unleashes that energy ball that blows up one of the tanks. That's what they turned Jack Sparrow into this bumbling kind of character that would accidentally have success and wasn't actually competent or capable. And, and I don't know butcher. I feel is very true to the comic version of butcher. And I just still take him as deadly serious. He doesn't accidentally fall into success. He's methodical. He's, he's calculated. He's planning. He's all this kind of stuff. And he's a little wacky. Yes, there's some eccentricities to him. But I find him to be a very different character than Jack Sparrow. Um, maybe more similar to Jack Sparrow in the original Pirates movie. But, uh, but I'm sure the, the comparisons will continue. All right. Uh, next up here. The Doctor 2310 writes, Hey, John and Rob, I had the chance to watch the Hobbit and Lord of the Ring trilogies, extended editions, for the first time. I enjoyed them, but I didn't love them as much as I wanted, seeing how the films are so loved and I missed out on something, or was that just me? Well, the Hobbit films are not nearly as loved. Let, let's be really clear. There's a lot of people who don't like the Hobbit films. Um, so those are not nearly as hyped. I personally like the Hobbit films. I had a lot of issues with part three, um, which was all payoff and no setup. And there's something dissatisfying about that. The Lord of the Rings films. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Maybe it's just, they were so hyped up for you or whatever. But remember at the end of the day, all films are subject are subjective just because everybody else loves something doesn't mean you need to. And just because everybody else dislikes something doesn't mean you can't enjoy it. You know, 90% of the time, I like what most people like. And 10% of the time, I don't like what most people like. But it's going to be different for all of us from film to film. So I don't think there's any reason. It's just that, hey, it's subjective. You watched Lord of the Rings. You didn't have as good of a time watching it as a lot of other people did. Nothing wrong with that, man. Nothing wrong with that. All right, next up. Uh, and this is our final question of the day comes to us from Joseph, uh, Trina writes, I've seen Tenet twice now in IMAX and not only did I have an issue with the sound mixing, but I rather liked it. Oh, sorry. Not only did I not have an issue with the sound mixing, but I rather liked it only during the Freeport tour, which I, I have no idea what I'm, you're talking about because I haven't seen the movie. Uh, did I miss dialogue? And that's irrelevant. I found for me, the sound really enhanced the experience. Well, there you go. I mean, some people like just like for uh, the Dark Knight Rises, 
and Bane is talking like this. I mean, there are people who's like, I had no problem understanding Bane. I'm actually one of them. I, I really didn't have any problem understanding Bane. But a lot of people did, and that's cool. Uh, the sound worked for you. You were able to discern it. Great. Uh, it's clear a lot of other people didn't, but I'm glad that you had a better experience than a lot of those other people, Joseph. So I'm happy you had that experience. All right, guys, that will do it for today's installment of the John Campia show. Thank you so much for being here and making this show a part of your day. Don't forget the show is back again tomorrow. Guys, while you're here, why don't you take a second, click on that subscribe button, become a subscriber to the YouTube channel. Stay up to date on all the stuff that we're doing here. Uh, you guys, of course, can start sending in your main topics for tomorrow's show. If you like, if you come across some big news, you think we should make a main topic on the show tomorrow, simply go to the johncampyshow.com slash contact, fill out that form. It's totally free. And maybe you'll see your comment or question featured as a main topic here on the John Campus Show tomorrow. Or if you want to have a live question or comment put on the live question part of the show and guarantee that it gets on, go ahead and use that tip link that's in the top of the description of the video. Or if you just want to support the show, streamlines.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your question on the show and, of course, supporting the show at the same time. Special thanks to all you guys who did send on those questions. First of all, you gave us great fun things to talk about and obviously you supported the show at the same time. That will do it for me for now, guys. Remember to do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and please take care of the people around you. That's it for me. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.